Hi there and welcome. Now it's time for America's favorite podcast. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. If it's fly, loose fit it. It's Cortez. If freeze and chubbies in it. It's Cortez. Leave your mark. It's about inspiring the world. One guess at a time. Pass the word from Brooklyn to Pittsburgh, from urban to suburb. It's Cortez, you heard? And here is our host, Vince Cortez. This is Leave Your Mark. I am Vince Cortez, and today's guest is Jim Calhoun. On September the 2nd, 2017, Jim and his wife, Karen, were visiting family out of state where he would pass out and hit his head, causing bruising and swelling in his left eye. Just a few weeks prior to this incident, his father had passed away and his wife had been on disability due to seven back surgeries. He would then go to a local hospital where they was performed blood tests and the doctors noted that there was a blast in his blood. Jim was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia with Philadelphia positive chromosome. Only 30% of adults and the way of survival of this was through a bone marrow transplant. Jim, you're a warrior. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what I want to do is just touch on uh, where, where you grew up and what your childhood was like and what mom and dad did and fill me in on your youth. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Saratoga Springs, New York, just about 30 minutes north of Albany. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Because we had, I had three siblings, I had three older siblings, but they were, we were like two or three years apart. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and my dad, he worked, you know, in, in the grocery market for, oh God, 35 years plus at the time as a manager. And, uh, you know, we, I, my, I lived in a small town and, you know, we were outside all the time playing with friends, never, never home until the lights came on. <laughs> you know, not like not like kids today you know no, they don't leave their homes they don't leave the house so in no. your youth um did you participate in any sports or any activities i wasn't in any sports but you know you know us boys i guess we got in a lot of trouble once here and there you know we you know we'd mischief. have fun with yeah just just the regular old mischief stuff so then uh, you graduate high school now do you decide to go to college or do you get out into the work world um well when i Got out of high school. I went right into the military. Um, I am a. I was in the army for four years. I was in the reserves. This is interesting. So, I want to touch on this real quick. How did that affect you moving forward? Because that's at that age, coming right out of high school, that'll be as, as impressionable as it'll get. Yeah, I wanted to be a, a graphic designer, and you know, at the time, um, I wasn't sure if I was really ready for college. Or whatnot. And, um, you know, after talking to a couple of recruiters, I was like, you know what, this might be something for me. And, and you know, I can travel, you know, if I wanted to uh -huh. at the time. Um, when I was in the service, I did not do any traveling because they got rid of my, my unit. So um, I ended up just going right into the working world right after that. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. Yeah. So it, was there any uh, um, aha moments in basic training or anything of the sort like that? No, just just what am I good old times here? when my when my uh, when I was there, my my dad pulled me out of formation. That was probably the highlight of being in the military in the middle of formation, and then you know having to go up and down stairs with a fifty pound weight in my backpack 
from like one o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the morning until I was able to go home. Oh, wow. That was talking. Yeah, to it was, I knew, I uh, knew there was at least one experience. That's all I had to ask. <laughs> Good so time, right, right? You come out of the military. Do you get into the graphic design world right away? No, I, other things came in. I just started going out and working um, in human resources, you know, um, part time here and there and just made a career out of it. OK, so then now you're moving along, you're having a career and you're married <laughs> with Karen for 19 years. When did when did yes. you meet up with her? So uh, both Karen and I were um, single parents raising our kids. And uh, I met her through a mutual friend back in 2000. Um, and more, probably more, more towards almost 2001. And, uh, you know, after knowing her for just a few months, I asked her to marry me like two or three months later. And a year after that, in 2002, we got married. And oh, uh, wow. I've been happily married ever since. She's been my, 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 my best partner. My, she's been by my side all through everything that I went through. And uh, she's got a lot of faith in me. So, so your, your two kids are Jenna and Zachary. Yep. And... Uh, my daughter's 28 and my son is 24. Um, both, you know, they're both out of college. They're in their careers now. So you're probably getting close to being a grandpa. No, 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 not yet, not yet. <laughs> I'm not ready for that because I'm still young. Okay, all right. Well, you can be a young grandpa. Anything goes nowadays. So, um, now when so you two are having a life. You're going along for a while here because this diagnosis is on 2017, <laughs> at the end of the year. Uh, what are the kind of things you and Karen would do? We traveled once a year. We'd go to Jamaica or to the Caribbean islands. Um, we've been to Mexico been on cruises i mean we did we as our kids were older um that's when we started to do a little bit of the traveling because we're like you know what you only live once yeah let's let's do it once a year and you know so we that's what we tried to do what i want to do is i want to tie in her story where you know your dad passes away mm -hmm. and that's always a big time in your life because you sound like you were close with your dad and very close to my old man yeah and I was under the impression that her back surgeries were going on at the same time that he passed away. Was that correct? Yes. Yeah. So um, prior to my dad passing, my wife had went through multiple surgeries with um, disc in her back, you know, deteriorating and whatnot. And uh, she had just had her seventh surgery. Oh my. That I want to say it was that March might've been, might've been April because we had went on a cruise at my parents. We took my parents on a cruise, um, that year that my dad passed. And, uh, so she was recovering from that surgery. And ever since it's been kind of downhill, she'll say it's my fault because we were training with a trainer and, um, we were passing the medicine ball at one time. Okay. And that's when she heard like a kind of a, a snap and it was like, that started right from there. <laughs> Now, how is she doing? Is she still um, under care for that? or She's got a back stimulator. She's had several surgeries since then, um, even since I you know, have been recovering, um, having a stimulator put in her back, nerves. It's I mean, it just, yeah, I mean, once you start, you know, it just, it just seems like one thing after another for her, but she's doing okay. You know, she's getting around pretty good. 
you got to feel like with your dad passing away in, in her situation, you're, you, you got to be really kind of emotionally out of sorts at this point. I was because not only I had to be, you know, the, the man of my own home with my kids and my wife being, you know, getting better. And then I had to kind of switch my gears a little bit towards my mom because I was the only son. Um, you know, I was very handy at things. My dad taught me a lot of things, building things along the way. Uh, so I knew I had to step in and, you know, care for her and be there for her while she was going through emotionally losing my dad. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Be our friend on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You are listening to Vince Cortez. We just want you to leave your mark. So then in the middle of all of this, you're traveling, you're out of state, sound like you're seeing her side of the family for a visit. Yeah. And then they were at the uh, fall. Yeah. I mean, we were at their lake house where, we you know, it was uh, Labor Day weekend, you know, it was a three day weekend. So, you know, we're out full force, ready to have a good time. And uh, we got in like on a Saturday or Friday, Saturday, we were, you know, hanging out all day. And I fell asleep at like eight o'clock at night, which is untypical for me. I don't, I don't normally, I usually, I'm usually a night guy. I like to hang out, have a couple beers here and there. And nope, it, I wasn't having it. After dinner, eight o'clock, I was out like a light, woke up at 11 o'clock that night, went to the restroom. And as, as I was washing my hands, I started to fall, um, hit my head on a granite countertop. My nieces were younger kids at the time. They were younger and they were in the other room and they had heard me fall. And, uh, they're like, are you okay? And I can hear them, but I couldn't answer them because it was just all, I mean, everything's happened. I just kind of must've blacked out. I don't know what exactly happened. And as soon as I got up off the floor, my head was like, my whole side of my face was huge. I looked like I just got through, done through a Rocky fight. <laughs> Prior to that. So you're, you're emotionally tapped in a whole nother direction as you go in this now, did, did you experience anything physical prior to this? The, the no, well, your dad or like, did you feel physically any different? No. Well, the thing was I had a couple bruises on my, like my legs. Um, you know, and I was, I've been, when my dad passed, um, while my dad was in the hospital, um, I was building a front porch on my house and, you know, I'd be out there every day, a little bit at a time. Um, so I thought, you know, after a while, I was just, the wood or, you know, I was just getting beat up by it because it just hit, hit against it or something. You know, even though I hit my head, I'm still, I've had a lot of energy. Like I am now. I'm like, I go, everybody's like, sit down, sit down. I'm like, why? I, I'm fine. You know, but you know, I, doctor's orders. I, I did what I had to do. So that, that was in the middle of the night. So you, you go to sleep, you wake up, you go to the hospital right away the next day. And yeah. I didn't even, well, I didn't even go to sleep. I couldn't sleep because I was too nervous about not waking up for some reason, because I, I knew I'd, Oh, wow. cut myself and I was bleeding, but the cut was probably this, like a paper cut. I mean, it was yeah. even smaller than a paper cut. Yo, so yeah. my nieces were, you know, young enough and they're, they're a little upset, but they were trying to keep me awake. So just in case I didn't have a concussion. Um, okay. So I kind of stayed up. Okay. You know, even if I went to sleep, my, my wife and them, they were awake to make sure I was okay. And then the next day, um, because my wife couldn't drive because yeah. of back surgeries, I was the only driver. And, uh, so my in-laws, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law had to drive us. Um, somebody had to drive my car and then somebody drove his car, met my daughter halfway on the throughway, 
and uh, so we can make the switch because I couldn't I couldn't see. I mean, I was yeah. I felt like I was blind out of one eye, even though I had one good eye, but I just had no. no at that point, I had no energy. Yeah. I, I just wanted to sleep because it was either I was up all night or I just it was the the platelets. You were zapped. The platelets yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, so now you're in the hospital and they tell you you got these blasts in your system and you get moved to a second hospital. Yeah. So what the happened? first hospital I went to, though, um, I worked I worked at. So I felt comfortable going there because I'm like, you know, I know the best care is there, um, you know, and, and when I was there, the doctor immediately rolled up just like, you know, you see in the movies on a chair and. You know, she wanted to make sure I was going to be calm because she's like, you have cancer, but we don't know what kind you have. So you have to go to Albany Med, which is another, that was when they transferred Okay. Me. So just real quick, because I always <laughs> like getting the, the patient's first reaction to hearing that they have cancer. What did you think? My immediately thought was, okay, what do I have to do? And how do we take care of it? Okay. I mean, so I was just like, address it right away. Yeah. You yeah, I wanted to fix it, it right then. <laughs> so now she, she's telling you, you got to go to another hospital. So that progressed. I mean, I was just like, you know, let's do what we got to do, um, you know, so we can figure one, one, what type it is and how is there a cure? Is there I mean, can I beat this? Can I what can I do? What is I, I just, you know, because I'm like, am I not going to be here tomorrow? Okay. So as I was being transferred out of the hospital, they're all, you know, cheering me on or, you know, they all stood up, clapped and, you know, none of them knew me because I didn't work in that particular part of the hospital. I worked for part of the uh, facilities. And, um, but I mean, it was like, you know what, with this amount of people cheering me on, I can, I can do this. I had, I had it under my belt. Now, are you a very spiritual guy? Kind of, sort of, um, you know, I don't, I, I believe in, you know, God, I believe in all that stuff. I don't go to church every Sunday, but I tell you what, if I wasn't spiritual, then I was after I was diagnosed because I knew I had to have come to some kind of sense that there's somebody got to watch over me. Yeah. Well, I mean, with your wife not being able to drive and, you know, I, I'm yeah. assuming after you started taking some treatments here, were you able to drive or at the time, um, my, you know, it was either my son my daughter, I mean, because I'd be in and out of the hospital while going through treatment, I'd come home from treatment, and then all of a sudden I had to go back to Albany. So that took a 40-minute ride. And oh. it was never during the day. It never was in the morning. It was always at like 12 o'clock at midnight. Oh. So my kids would be home, you know, in their places. I had to call them up and I'd be like, I hate to do this because I need a ride. I can't drive because I, after having treatment, my yeah. eyes started to come blurry and um, I had at the time I had a puppy and I was like, uh, what, what do I do with him? Where do I, where, you know, so we had, luckily we had somebody that would take him in and, uh, walk in a, in a instant and, you know, we'd get, my wife would get the balls rolling and everything would be so smooth. Yeah, I don't that know how was, she did Cause your situation with, with your, your dad gone and then your wife not being able to drive and, and you going into the role of taking care of business and now you couldn't do that either that had to feel just terrible yeah it was i mean and and i can remember my wife sitting next to me and saying to me um you know don't don't worry about anything else just worry about you and getting better don't stress yourself out and i'm like how the hell am i gonna do that when i feel like everything's on me at this point you know because you know you're uncertain about your job because you can't go back to work and you're just you have all you know you still have 
bills coming in. And luckily enough, I had a lot of banked uh, sick time, but that only went so far. Yeah. <laughs> so now run me through how this, uh, how long this process goes. So you're, you're 2017. It's the end of the year, just about. Um, you're you're going to need a bone marrow transplant. And how are, how are they going about finding that for you? Or what kind of direction are they giving you? Well, they basically told me they, they, you know, I had people like, oh, I'd give, I'll donate all the time. But at the time, it doesn't work that way. You have to go on a list unless you're a family member. Like an organ donor kind of thing. <laughs> yep. Let's throw some more stress on top yeah. of what you already have. Exactly. No, no big deal about that one. <laughs> it, exactly. Terrible. Right. So oh it was funny. They're like, all right, well, we'll try your, you know, you have three siblings. Let's try them. I'm like, great. I, well, I had one that had, um, was on the edge of being a diabetic. So she was a no-go. I had one that has severe, uh, allergies to a lot of things. Uh, she was a no-go and my oldest sister, she just wasn't a match. Wow. So yeah. So, so how long had, then did it take to get the first match? Cause you got a donor, right? And how long did that I, take? Yeah, it was a December 17th. I was sleeping on my couch and, you know, of course I had a treatment that day, so I was knocked out and my wife got an email and she's jumping up and down not literally, but I mean, she was like excited. She's waking yeah. me up and I'm like half groggly. I'm like, you know, what the hell's going on? And she's like, they got a match. They got a match. And I'm like, are you serious? I go, when we go tomorrow. And you know, it's a process obviously. And, um, you know, they told me I would be able to get treated, you know, have my bone marrow transplant probably in like, at first they started January. Then it was February. It was, it was, it went fast. So then you get this bone marrow transplant. How does that happen? Is that like through a port or how do you get? Yeah, I had two ports put in my chest. Um, prior to that, though, um, like the last week. So for Christmas, and it was like December 18th, I went back in the hospital. Um, I ended up with fluid on my lungs. I had um, pneumonia. Oh, I had... Boy a couple of other things that were having issues and I was on oxygen and uh, I knew my transplant was going to happen in sometime in January, February. And I still had to go through, um, cause I was going to Dana Farber. I went from Albany med to Dana Farber is where I had my, my transplant because they don't, they didn't do it here locally. No, what's uh, interesting is you're referencing it as a transplant, like an organ, but this is in your blood, right? In yeah, blood. I mean, it's just, it's full bone marrow. Like they can either do stem cell or bone marrow. And my donor decided, uh-uh, I'm going full throttle. I'm get, if I'm going to do it, I'm giving it all. Okay. You know? So it's more invasive for him than it was for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a blessing that was. So then how Absolutely. did this go? Then so you, you get the, like your, your treatments, I'm assuming are um, not as frequent or are they more frequent? Like what was your schedule like? Um, so I went in the hospital before transplant every, I think it was every three to four days I'd go in and I would stay in the hospital for like four days or so. Cause I'd get high dose chemo. Chemo at the same time as this. Yeah, just before I went through, like, I think it was six rounds because I had to have injections in my oh, back. No, you're, you're just exhausted. That, yeah. The, and I, the, word, the word fatigue is takes on a whole new meaning. Yep, absolutely. So the type of leukemia I had, 
um, they had to do uh, injections in my back because the type I have likes to break the brain barrier. So I had to go through seven rounds of that. And that was not fun at all. I mean, it was excruciating pain. Um, but I did what I had to do to get through it. And sometimes I'd have to miss one because I'd have fevers. I mean, when you have fevers, it's like they would pack me in like a, like on ice. Yeah. That's how bad the, bad the fevers were. Um, and I, like I said, I was in there from like G December 17th of 2017 up until January 3rd of 2018. And my wife finally said, you know, we need to get somebody in here to check out the fluid on his, on his lungs. Um, he's not going home on oxygen. And I was like, hell no, I'm not going home. I'll walk these halls. I'll do whatever I got to yeah. do to get out of here to go and have this transplant. So when I went to the doctors, um, when they released me two days later, I was in Dana-Farber and they're like, wow, they told us you weren't even going to be here. They told us you weren't even going to like be able to make the appointment. You were so sick. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I go, don't count me out. Oh no, you, you got know? a fighting spirit in you for sure. <laughs> So yeah, now you so, go in there, you finally, you're going to finally get your transplant. This is crazy because, yeah. I mean, you're waiting that long and that last 30 or 40 days prior to the, the transplant, this, you know, it rears its ugly head and you're in there getting chemo and all this. This is just sheer craziness. Yeah, it was nuts. So then you get the transplant. Now, how was how the treatment of the transplant? So I had uh, three days of high dose full body um, radiation. Uh, so, and even that was rough. I had to lay on like this on the ground basically. And they put these almost like a metal plate over my, my lungs. Okay. Um, and I would sit there for like 30 minutes. I think it was like 30 minutes. So 15 minutes on the front, 15 minutes on the back. And I go twice a day for three days. Oh my. And then I would have more high dose chemo because I want to make sure they kill all the cells that are in my body. So they, they pretty much wipe my immune system right out. Okay. So that that's an important point right there. So in order to get this transplant to take root, your existing immune system had to be 100% depleted. Absolutely. Wow. Everything in it had to be destroyed because they have the, the type of leukemia I have, they like to be, the cells like to be very sneaky and they like to hide. I don't know if the ice could get any thinner. <laughs> Gee. Right. So, okay. So now you, you go in here and you, you're in your treatment. So when did this begin to, you start to feel better? Um, I didn't uh, right away. I mean, once I had the transplant, it was, I was in from February 1st and I did not leave that hospital until I think it was almost March 26th. Okay. So the whole time I was there, my wife lived in a hotel um, for some time because she couldn't drive back and forth. And um, so she stayed with me the whole time. They wouldn't let her sleep in my room, but they were, you know, at least she was there for me Yeah, most of the time. But I mean, I, I went through, I ended up with like mouth sores and sores in my throat. So they'd give me a um, pain medication pump that I would pump every, I think it was every probably morphine I would guess. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I was pressing it all the time because that's how bad Oh. burns where I could I was so bad I couldn't eat so I had two ports put in they had one port where they'd with a feeding tube for nutrition and then um and then the other port was you know where I had blood products taken from and, and that's where I had my transplant.
If you are listening from Australia, Florida, or just from around the corner. From East Coast to West Coast outlets, if you're not to the dirty South straight, make a left and body, body. Contact us. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. You're a very strong-willed guy, I can tell. And when <laughs> yeah. this when this didn't take root for that first 60 days and you were so anxious to get it, what was going through your mind then? My, my mind was, I need to get the hell out of here and go home and be, you know, get better because I felt like wandering the halls and just getting sick every day and having, you know, um, digestive issues. And I mean, it was just, it was horrible. And, you know, where I was, I was in like this, almost like a pod, they called it. And there's probably, I think three or four rooms on this particular pod. So I wasn't the only one there getting a transplant. Um, and as I was going through transplant, you know, we had one that, um, you know, had, had passed away. And so these are the things, those are the things that were going through mind. I'm like, am I going to make it out of here? Am I not going to make it out of here? But I know I'm going to make it out of here because that's, that's where I need to be. I still have my kids. I still have my wife, my family. You know, um, it's almost like I needed to prove a point. Is that when you were hit in the prayer a little bit more? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when they brought that um, bag in of bone marrow and it was fresh, I mean, it was, and, and, you know, when we, we all touched the bag, the priest, myself, my wife, it just, my, I just lost it. I mean, it was so emotional. Um, and I'm like looking at it like, wow, this, this can, this can save my life. And somebody, I don't know did this for me. And, uh, you know, it made me wonder like, why, why would somebody, you know, I, I know, you know, people do great things for people, but I was just like, somebody special went through this, you know, to save somebody else. And, and it, made, it just made you wonder why they did it. Wow. Okay. So now you're, you're, you're taking the treatments. How long did the, is this like um, multiple times for months? No, it was or? a four hour process. So the nurse sat with me for four hours along with my wife, just to make sure I, I didn't have a reaction. Um, typically when you have a bone marrow transplant, you have an immediate reaction within the first, I think it's like the first half hour. Um, but if I had stem cells, it would have been like an hour long, but this was four hours long. So it was all in the prime time of when the Red Sox were in the series. Oh, wow. Or, well, not the Red Sox, I'm sorry. It was when the uh, the Patriots were uh, going in the Super Bowl, and I'm a Giants fan, and I'm, like, watching football, try, trying to stay up with baseball. I was just – I was keeping my mind busy. I was going to say, I think the Giants <laughs> delivered you a, a, a little gift there. Didn't they beat the Patriots in that one? No, no. Actually, the Patriots won that year. Oh, wow. Okay. But, anyhow, but we had we had beat the Patriots at one time. Yeah, I know you did. Um, <laughs> the, so now you're here you go. So how long then till this first transplant, they realized that it didn't work? Um, within the first like, you know, half hour, they knew it was it was doing what it's supposed to. Um, it took a little while because I would then after transplant and after um, they sent me home in March. I had to go to Boston from home, Albany, uh, every once a week I had to go. So a friend of ours took the, you know, would take the day off to travel us, take my wife and I all the way for, to have checkups every week. Cause I ended up with, um, what they call graft first host in the gut, um, and CMV. 
um, which is like a, like a form of herpes, a good form of herpes, I guess, as my doctor would say. Mm -hmm. Um, but with GVHD, it would be where my body would say, Oh, it's rejecting the, the transplant a little bit. So, you know, when Christians would come in and my body be like, Oh, Whoa, this ain't Jim. You know, this is, this is somebody else, but they ended up, you know, put me on, um, tacrolimus, which was a, um, a medication that I took for almost a few years. I can't, I don't understand why, what it was for. I can't remember, but, um, it would, it would help my immune system. So now how long in between then do they know that you're going to need to have a second donor? Well, immediately they would, you know, they were able to tell immediately I didn't need another, another boost or anything like that. Because even though when you get a transplant, your numbers will drop, like my platelets would still drop. Um, you know, it, the graft first host, I'd end up with rashes um, on my body, but it was just part of the, really part of the process as my doctor would say. Do you get to leave the hospital any length of time after this? I got out in March of uh, the end of, near the end of March of 2018. And then after that, I'd go every week to Boston um, to have, you know, blood work drawn, see how things were going. Um, and then how long I, did that last for? So that lasted for almost six months. And then it went to once a month. Okay. So now we're almost into 2019. Yeah. And then, uh, 2019 I was going, I think it was, I think I was going once a month at that point. And then not until 2020, I started going every six months. And then now I only go, well, as of August, I only go once a year now. Okay. So nice. at what point in that did you get the second transplant? Yes. So I, I had the, the first transplant, I, I only had one transplant. Um, but they, and it's funny because uh, they told me my bone marrow came from Germany. So this whole time, and they tell you that because they don't want you to try to figure out, oh, where, where it came from or who, who was, you know, given it. Meanwhile, he was right downstairs, do, you know, given doing the bone marrow. Um, it, usually it happens like two years if they're from Germany is when you can start the process of, of meeting them. Um, you can send letters, but you can't say anything about like your favorite sports teams. You can't mention any names. You can't, it was a lot of information you couldn't um, subject to. So during the first round per se, um, when they asked me if I wanted to contact, I'm like, why, why, would, I, why would I want to send something I can't talk about? Um, and I go, so I'll just wait for the two years. Well, after my year um, post-transplant, I got paperwork in the mail saying, Hey, you can meet, start meeting your donor. And I'm like, I told my donors from Germany, whatever. So I kind of brushed it off. I filled it out. I sent it in. And two days later, I got a letter in the mail um, saying who my donor was. And I'm like, what? So I opened it up, looked at it. And it says, if you have a story to share, tell us how are you going to leave your mark? Contact us, leave your mark with our host, Vince Cortez, be our guest. And it says, your donors from the United States, from Connecticut. And I'm like, what? This can't, this, this isn't true. So I called be the matchup. I'm like, are you sure about this? And they're like, 99 to 100% sure this is your donor. And I'm All like, right. why would you tell me he's from Germany and he's not? 
And then that there's someone they went on and told me about, you know, we don't want you to didn't want you to try to track the person down. No, this is <laughs> intriguing because at this point, you're, it, two years was enough that you're 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 having a moment here where you you got to be getting curious as to, yeah. am, you know, I like to meet this person. Absolutely. So I my wife, it was funny, my wife went out that day with my mom. And uh, when I got the paperwork, so I'm sitting here and I'm pacing my house. I called my wife up. I'm like, this can't be true. She's like, yeah, I don't think it, maybe that's not, not your donor. I'm like, she goes, but call. And that's when I called. And then I must've paced the house for about four hours before I decided to call him because I was like, well, I, I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't know how to react. I was so emotional, you know? And at the time it, I couldn't produce tears and I couldn't produce saliva. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I still have an issue with um, producing saliva and sometimes with the tears, I have to, you know, take uh, eye droplets and stuff like that. Everyone's in a great while. Okay. So now you're going to get to go meet this person. Yeah. So I gave him a call. I called him and uh, at first he wasn't going to answer the phone because he thought maybe it was a, like a, you know, like one of those robo calls or whatever. And uh, he picked up the phone and, uh, I can remember because prior to calling him, I kind of went on like the social networking scene to see if I could find him. And uh, I'm looking all over and I saw him, but I wasn't sure if it was him. And I'm like, this guy looks awfully young. You know, why would somebody so young do this? So as soon as he answered the phone, it was like, I knew him forever. I mean, we had an instant bond. Um, we probably talked for I don't know, close to two, maybe almost three hours. Um, we just formed a, a connection. Like I knew him forever. Okay. So now you got to share with the audience, this gentleman's name and what so, he's all up to, even so, you know, besides him being a young guy. Yeah. So um, his name is Christian Montano. Um, he's from Connecticut. Uh, he went to uh, Tulane uh, university um, at the time he's, he's playing football um, so before that he started with Brown and he had, I heard himself and then, um, he was, he was, I guess, red, what they call red flagged, I guess. Uh, red, uh, um, red shirted. Red, yeah. Red shirted his last, his last year. So he had a and year then, eligibility to go play somewhere else. That's what happened. Yeah. Okay. And so. he ended up going to Tulane and, um, which was awesome. And I mean, I was able to watch him play football against army, um, and since I was in the military, it was a great, great thing to see and to be on the field. I went down on the field. Oh, very um, cool. I interviewed with the, with, uh, I think it was CBS sports. I wish I had his size. He's a, you know, you can tell he's a football player. He's got great size. Yeah. And the pictures, um, he looks mammoth. And he's a young dude. I mean, he's just, he's like, I think he's the same age as my son. Um, okay. but to talk to Christian is like talking to a guy way beyond his time wow he is just i can't say enough about christian he is just yeah he is i i now is that his steeler jersey on your back wall there yeah so um he was uh back in draft in 2020 um he got picked by the steelers um, and then at the time he ended up getting cut from the team because whole COVID happened. Oh, wow. 
so yeah, so in that whole time, um, you know, I, I watched every Tulane game he was in. I'm a big football fanatic. And I was like, oh man, it would be great if you could play for the Giants. He's like, Jim, what my dream would be to play with the Patriots. And, you know, he loved Tom Brady. So then uh, this past year before the draft, he was, uh, he signed with uh, the New Orleans Saints where he would do preseason uh, games. And then the last, after the last preseason game, he uh, got cut from the team. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, you know, I pray he, for the kid every uh, night. They still make it. It's like with the amount of injuries and things that go on in the, in the modern era, <laughs> he'd probably be a taxi squad guy that could get called up at any time. Exactly. You know? That's what he said. I mean, he, so, he is, he exercises every day. He does, he, he still does his regimen every day. When I talk, cause I text him, you know, just about every week or so. Um, we, you know, we have that connection. I'll send him pictures in my, cause this is my, this is my workout area where, where I work out all the time. And he inspired me to, to not give up and, you know, watching him eat like 20 pounds of chicken and, you know, like 30 pounds of eggs or however many dozens. I mean, the kid is just, he's never had alcohol in his body. He's oh, wow. just clean cut. He's just, he's all about giving a, more than 110%. Well, the, the idea of knowing that some of his DNA is in you has to make you feel really good. Yeah. So right now I'm hundred percent Christian. So all my DNA is Christian. Oh, wow. That's yeah. So amazing. in the beginning we joked, we joked about it. He's like, don't you ever do anything wrong? I said, no, I would never do you wrong, buddy. <laughs> That's a great. So now where are we standing with your condition now? What, are you under any so treatments? How- I am on treatment still. I have, um, I get weekly blood work. I, I have, um, I ended up with a platelet disorder. Go figure. Um, where when my platelets are made, they destroy themselves quicker than they, they come on. So I get a, what they call an end plate shot every week. Um, they give me a, a, like a, so much of a dose every Tuesday. Where's your platelet count come in when they do that? Um, so when they do it, I'm like almost, I'm normal. The other day I went and I was at 174,000. Oh, you're perfect. But I can go next week and they could be down to like 100,000. So, I mean, they, yeah. they fluctuate, but knock on wood, um, they've been pretty steady and I can't wait to get off this shot because it really, it's a pain in the neck to drive, you know, 45 minutes just for a 10 minute shot and blood work and then go back to work. <laughs> well, yours is that, that's a big fatigue thing too. When your platelets are in order, it's, it, you, you, yeah. mean, you could sleep anywhere. And I mean, Oh anywhere. yeah. I get tired very easy. I'm usually yeah. out sleeping by eight o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, but when my platelets are good, like they are like this evening, yeah, you get the energy. Um, it's a, it's like a good Friday. I'll have a good craft beer tonight. You know, I mean, what a great story. We're going to keep tabs with you make sure you're doing well. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I want to, uh, help endorse what you're doing here and promote it. Uh, we're going to get all your social media content anywhere. You're, uh, have a website that you're promoting your, uh, battle with this and, before we get that, I asked all my guests, how would you like to leave your mark? I always tell other cancer survivors that I talk to all the time, um, whether they're going through cancer or just somebody's having a rough day, they got to know they're not alone. Um, you know, I always tell them I got their back because when I first went through this, I knew not a soul of mm. having ALL leukemia. And at the day I had my transplant, I had a gentleman um, 
uh, that I became very good friends with. His name is Curtis Rowe. I want to give a shout out to that guy because we went back and forth the whole time we both had it. He was a little bit younger, had a younger child had passed away on my birthday oh. um, about a year ago, and almost two years now. And, um, you know, there were things that he wanted to do and he instilled them in me and I'm doing, I'm doing things to that. We both want, we had plans to do right and to help others. And, uh, you know, if I can help anybody and inspire somebody, then I've done my job here. Yes, you have. What a great Thank story. You. I appreciate that. And I never want to stop helping anybody. You know, I can't do it monetarily, but I can do, I can help even if it's a, a shoulder to cry on or just yeah. listen. Um, and that's sometimes that's all you need. I don't even know that sometimes words are applicable. It's just the fact that somebody is there, period. Yeah. I mean, if you see my social media, I'm in my gym all the time. I'm motivated. I'm, I'm on it. I'm talking, I'm speaking, I'm helping. And that's what I saw like the dance see. moves. <laughs> I saw the I dance like to dance. Your sister's in trouble. <laughs> I, you got a lot of rhythm. <laughs> I've seen you wiggling. You got a lot of rhythm there, young man. <laughs> Well, I, I want to thank you again for coming by. And before we go, what, what is the name of your um, your social media? Is it under your name? On Facebook, they can follow me, Jim Calhoun. Um, and they'll see a picture of me. I have my Calhoun Strong shirt on. Um, and I also have a, a page that I try to that I try to remember to update on how my things are going. But I typically do it on my own, my own page. Okay. And I do have an Instagram. I think it's uh, Calhoun1225 that I use and um, I use Twitter a little bit, but not too much, but most okay. of the time I'm on Facebook. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to check you out on there. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to leave your mark today. Tune into our next episode of leave your mark with Vince Cortez. Be blessed. You just left your mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Listen to more episodes on demand. Just click leave your mark with Vince Cortez.